0: man welcome to crow triple seven radio this is episode 325 jason Lingren is with me and christopher gardner is back and we're finally going to get an episode where we talk about bamboo which i've been looking forward to Uh, i've had a lot to do with bamboo over my lifetime Uh, it's unfortunate that when i got into it i lived in southern california and that's a mismatch the one thing bamboo needs is water the one thing southern california doesn't have is water um, and there are ways around this for certain types, but we're going to try to show some of the breadth and width of bamboo. Um, I think I can easily state that the most important plant in this world is grass. Bamboo being the largest grass, if I'm not mistaken, I might be, but I don't think I am. Rice and wheat are forms of grass, so I think it's easily arguable that grass is one of the most useful plants that grows in this world, and. I will further state, it used to be in Asia, there was almost nothing that got built or done without the use of bamboo. Of course, in the modern era, that's going away. But as we got in here, uh, we were talking about still to this day, if you go to parts of Asia and a big building's being scaffolded, it is scaffolded with bamboo. And so we started asking the question, what kind of bamboo is that? And I looked it up and they told me cowju and maoju. And I thought, well, that doesn't help me because I know the Latin so I looked it up and found out that it is Phyllostachys pubescens. The thing about Phyllostachys pubescens is it is a running bamboo. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of it. And it's going to be planted once and harvested for nearly forever or until it seeds. And it is truly timber bamboo. And so what we're going to do as we go along here, I will give people names And all you need to do is jump on a search engine with images and just use the name I give you, and you will start to understand just what an amazing plant bamboo is. Uh, Anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: And a beautiful but hot good morning.
0: Yep. uh, We are in summer here too, but let's do this thing. Welcome, Christopher. It's good to be back with you both. All right. So as we jump in here, we should refresh everyone's memory Uh, in the course of your work, you, you, actually do construction, uh, with a type of bamboo that is a true timber bamboo down in the Americas below North America, uh, called Guadua. So why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, we use, we use two different types of Guadua. We use the Guadua angustifolia, which is like considered the, the strongest bamboo on the planet. It usually gets to about four, maybe four and a half inches of diameter in in this particular zone of Costa Rica. It doesn't get much larger than that, but it has more tensile strength than steel. So if, if you wanted to build uh, posts for your house, it's actually stronger to do a bundle of like say three or four uh, Guadalupe angustifolia together and going up to pick up your your rim beam or your corona, as they say here, than it would be to actually pour a concrete post with with normal rebar. And then we also use uh, another type of guadua called guadua atlantica, and that is the the running uh, type of bamboo. So the the running type of guadua. So guadua angustifolia is a clumping bamboo. Where if you plant the rhizomes in a specific area, you could you could say about uh, I would say a good eight to ten feet diameter around that, or excuse me, eight to ten meter diameter. You'll have a stand, a mature stand grow, whereas the Guadua uh, atlantica will run. And so, uh, what we try and do is we try and put the the Guadua atlantica in areas where you have spillways. So. Um, a spillway is wherever you have excess water moving um, through your land where you don't want to have the land actually degrade because where we're at, <laughs> the, the soil here is mainly bauxite clay. It's that red clay. It's like a red Georgia clay, but uh, here it's, it's a, a very expansive medium. So we get a lot of runoff into the streams and into the rivers here. So it's, it's appropriate in our area to put running bamboos in spillways to kind of hold the earth together. That's, that's one of the wonderful benefits of, of bamboo is that the rhizomes um, have incredible, the rhizome is the root structure of the bamboo. The rhizomes really hold the land very well. And so those are the two guadawas that we use mainly.
0: We should mention a few things. And by the way, um, I was introduced for the first time to Guadua Atlantica and it blew my mind because typically that first Latin name, Guadua, tells you, oh, that's a clumping bamboo. So what we're saying here is I've grown angustifolia, which is a clumping bamboo, and it is truly a timber bamboo. Matter of fact, if you want to take a minute, um, write down this word or search it Guadua, G U A D U A. You could search Guadua construction or just Guadua and look at the amazing nature of this truly timber bamboo. But what I've learned here is it's more amazing because there's apparently a top genus that goes both clumping and running, but that could be particular to the language it was done in. But here's the thing. Running bamboo, and we need to get this on the table right now, you do not plant any running bamboo without a rhizome barrier. And what Christopher was describing, most people don't know, water is a rhizome barrier. Bamboo will not grow uh, through water. If it hits water, it stops and goes a different way. Here where I am in Rhode Island, very few clumping bamboos uh, will make it through the winter. So everyone takes things like Phyllostachys, which is one of the most common running bamboos, and in about eight years, they have a rhizome mess that has run all over hell and gone. It can be four, maybe even sometimes five feet deep. And it's a bit like rebar after it's been around for a while. So to get it out is a living nightmare. So the point I'm making is if you choose some of the very beautiful running bamboos, you need a rhizome barrier. Water can be the rhizome barrier. Or there's this poly material that needs to be a certain millimeters thick and you got to dig down three to four feet and literally put a plastic barrier to contain the running bamboo. And this is critically important. When I was in Southern California and I was big in bamboo, I got a call from a lady who just bought a house. And so I go down to Balboa Park to see this lady's house. And what they'd done is the entire house was surrounded all the way around with a running bamboo. Bamboo. And it had been there for years and years and years. And what they did is they cropped all the combs off when they sold her the house. So it didn't look like there was a lot of bamboo there. But as she moved in, all these combs started popping up. And she had called, say, how do I get rid of this running bamboo? This bamboo had left her yard, cracked the curb, was breaking the concrete street, had gone under her house, had cracked her slab. And I don't know, it was a good four close, pushing five feet deep. In other words what i would consider almost a total lot i'm not even sure how you could possibly deal with that but to get back to it um go ahead christopher uh with the guadua what you're looking at and if people have looked it up oh well i'll, I'll describe the what bamboo the things you need to know as christopher mentioned below the ground is the root system called rhizomes should look it up so you know how it works. There are many plants that have a rhizome system. You get a main, almost duckbill-shaped thing, and then a a daughter comes off and a granddaughter, and that's how it replicates. In running bamboos, uh, a whole running root rhizome system goes. Above the ground, there's the calm. The little nodes are called the internodes. So you have the smooth part, then there's a ring. That's the internode. And in almost every bamboo, there's like it looks like God took his thumb and pushed a little crease down the the internodes. In between the internodes, that's called the sulcus, and that's where the leaves and stuff like that are formed. Um, But on Guadua, if you've looked it up, you'll see the internodes are beautiful. It almost looks like Play-Doh on some of them have been smeared around the, the internode. But, you've been building with this quite a while, haven't you, Christopher?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, my first structure that I built with it was back in two thousand eight and but it was really neat because when I first moved to Costa Rica in two thousand and six, I moved on to a farm where the house that we were renting was called the bamboo house. and the the person who had built it had used the asper dender so the that's the gigantica. and I was just amazed because this whole house probably only had about eight posts, but each post was about 10 inches wide. (laughs) So it was like, it was very impressive and it was a low cost house, but he had built everything out of these really big pieces of the gigantica. And then he did all the floor joists horizontally with the same type of bamboo. And then he put a nice hardwood on top of it that was slotted like a deck would be slotted. And I was just, I would just sit there and marvel at the simplicity of the house because the house had this really good airflow that would move through it. And I mean, there was probably all in all, maybe, maybe, you know, 20 canes of big bamboo. And then all the rest of it was just this hardwood flooring and I was, I, it was a real inspiration to me of, like, how to build in the tropics, you know, to have the good airflow, to have local materials. I don't even think he even tried to cure the bamboo. Like, a, I don't think he even did a chemical cure. I think he just cut it at the right time of year.
0: To prevent bugs, you mean, like powder post beetle?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the last time we spoke about this, it, the, the biggest thing that people who harvest bamboo well do around here is we we watch the moon cycles and we try and cut at the low tide in the Mingwante moon. The Mingwante moon is like the first time that both the sun and the moon are in the sky together that are visible. So it's just, it's a few days after the full moon and the lore around here is that the water drops to the lowest part in the root system. And then that the, that the carne or the meat of the bamboo becomes sour. And so if the, if the, if the actual cellulose, the, the cellulitic matrix of the bamboo is sour, and there's a lot less water within the bamboo, the notion is that the bugs won't like it. And that, that has proven to be true. Like That's something I've seen throughout the years. That's, that's totally true.
0: So let's make a critical point here. So generations of living beings past knew the sky clock, and This shows that not only does the sky clock control everything, it shows you the proper way to do a thing. As we got to talking about not curing the bamboo, typical ways to do it now are to take insecticides and impregnate, punch the inner all the way through so it's like a pipe, and then impregnate it with poisons to keep powder post beetle. Another way they used to do it, and I know they've walked away from this, is they'd fill the internode with concrete to increase the tensile strength, but that was proven not very effective over time. Another way they used to do it, which is better, is they would punch the internodes out and put it in a river so that the water would leach out everything. But what Chris has just told you is people who understand how the clock sky clock works know that when the moon is I believe waning or it's reducing in light it becomes what's called sour grass and the bugs won't touch it so of all the ways I just mentioned it's the easiest and the most effective and it doesn't poison anything but I I figured it was important to make the point there
1: yeah like the the best system that I found because I, I build with so much bamboo and I, I cut with other local materials that I end up getting a lot of extra biomass. And for years and years and years, I didn't really know what was the, the best thing to do with all this biomass. And so I started creating a, a carbon supplement called Biochar. But the cool thing is when you're making Biochar, you come you, for a good 20 minutes in the process, you have this really, really toxic smoke <laughs> And most people are like, oh, no, smoke. But the cool thing is, is I read in a couple Japanese books on bamboo, like where these books were over 100 years old, that was the way the Japanese would cure bamboo is that they would cure it with smoke. And I had also seen in a lot of like lean to houses that were put over the uh, like the the local sugarcane kilns here. I noticed that they would use very low grade bamboo, but none of those, none of that low-grade bamboo would ever get eaten by the termites. So I noticed the reason why was the smoke from these low grade, you know, ovens would essentially fill these like little lean to shacks and it would cure the bamboo perfectly. So I was like, huh, well, I make all this biochar long as I cut the bamboo at the right time of year why don't I use that that smoke and put it through a flume and just put my bamboo in that flume and let it cure it and ever since I've been doing that I have had zero powder post beetles I've had zero termites here we call termites kumohen. Um, and it, that way I don't I don't have to use like copper sulfate and all these other really gross uh, toxic materials to to actually cure the bamboo
0: Are the techniques being used today still the ones that were discovered however many zillions of years ago because they work?
1: No, no. Mostly everything in Costa Rica has shifted towards the real heavy chemical model. So um, I I knew getting back to that first farm that I stayed at when I first moved here, that it was really neat because the people that were running that farm we're good friends with the people that were running the Firestone plantation. Apparently, the one of the heiresses of the Firestone um, tire magnate, they had this big plantation of bamboo that was, you know, essentially right down the street from us. And so, because they were dealing with such large volumes of bamboo, they went ahead and started using this this process that here they call it boucherie, and boucherie is where you take a You, you, you cut, you harvest the bamboo and then you immediately, you pressurize uh, a solution of, um, I believe it's, it's copper sulfate. Um, What is, I don't know what you, I don't know what the chemical signature is of, uh, here they call it pataza. I believe that's potassium sulfate. So it's copper sulfate, potassium sulfate, and one other chemical. And it's super toxic. <laughs> it's not anything that you want to be around. And because when they pump that solution through the bamboo, um, there's something that happens to the liquid on the other side of it that it doesn't really uh, seep into the ground well. So you end up having like these pools of toxicity. Sheesh. And so I had been exposed to that. I actually saw this. I saw the systems and I also didn't like the, the end result because... When they do the boucherie, to me, it made no sense. Like if you took the time to cut the bamboo at the right time, you were you were reducing the internal, the internal dew point of the cane of bamboo. But what they were doing was they were reintroducing liquid at high pressure. And so it would take a few years for that bamboo to fully dry out. And that's a problem because, you know, let's say you, you harvest your bamboo and then you're, you want to build with it within, you know, eight to eight to 12 months. Well, you go ahead and build with it, but now it's, now you're getting all this black mold because when you're building, you know, you, you put sealers on things, you put varnish on things. And unless you're putting a semi permeable, you know, varnish on there or sealer, Then all that liquid that was pumped through the bamboo, it has nowhere to go. And then when water has nowhere to go, you get, you know, very gross mold, right? So I I got really dejected with the way a lot of the, the bamboo was being done here. And then I ended up talking to people that had been in Bali and in Indonesia. And their whole process was very different. They had such a plethora of bamboo that they would cut it and they would just stack it and whatever was viable in 3 years was the only bamboo they would use so they didn't put any chemical treatment on it they didn't do anything they would just cut it and stack it and wait and to me that made a lot of sense but i don't have i don't have the uh, excess manpower just to cut and stack <laughs> so i was thinking for my own farm where i only have you know probably i have in total 8 stands Even though some of these are running stands, I was like, "I'm gonna, I need to harvest every year just for property maintenance." What's what's the best of both worlds? And then that's when I came across the whole thing that the Japanese would do. And I had some experience with charring the end of bamboo and just build in building temporary structures. So I knew, like, if you burnt one end of the bamboo and then you know, pilot hold the the actual nodes. Uh, that would release the internal pressure of it. And if it was cut at the right time, the actual cellulose was sour. And I had, I put up some temporary structures on a couple farms that never got attacked by bugs. So I was like, I'm going to kind of combine, you know, the, the old world methods with, you know, a low energy uh, method that I could manage myself because When you harvest a a cane that's 100 feet long, that's right around 100 to 120 pounds when when it's wet, and it it becomes pretty cumbersome. So I was trying to find a way (laughs) in which I could manage my own little bamboo forest and then also do the permaculture thing and stack the functions of making my biochar while curing the bamboo.
0: that kind of tells the tale of what science does. You know, you know, that corporation you were describing, someone got a chemical account, right? To sell them a crap load of chemical. Yeah. And what we also know talking to you, or there were locals who knew damn well, all you got to do is cut when you're in the right phase of the moon. Right. This is what happens. But I wanted to make a correction too. um, And it's not necessarily you misspoke. The thing about bamboo that everyone should know is Asia has forgotten more about bamboo than the West ever knew. And that's a fact. And maybe down where Christopher is, it's less so, but you mentioned dendrocalamus asper. The dendro means tree-like. So any bamboo with dendrocalamus is going to be a big timber bamboo. Dendrocalamus asper, and it's you can spell all that just the way it, it sounds. Dendrocalamus is D-E-N-D-R-O-C-A-L-A-L-A-M-U-S. Dendrocalamus. Dendrocalamus. Aspera is not the biggest bamboo. When I was into this big, it was thought that Dendrocalamus giganteus was the biggest bamboo. I have since learned that that's not true. Uh, At the Botanical Garden in San Diego, there was a very famous Dendrocalamus gigantea that went to seed. From what I understand, they had to get a crane in. When it seeds, it dies, almost all bamboos. And by the way, When Dendrocalamus gigantea seeded in San Diego, everywhere else in the world within a month or two did the same thing. Doesn't matter where that gigantea was, that's got to be sky clock related. But if you go look up Dendrocalamus asper, Dendrocalamus giganteus, or Largest dendrocalamus, your mind will be blown. The one that was at San Diego had combs that were in excess of a foot in diameter. Uh, I have seen pictures of some that look like they're approaching 15 inches or better. I mean, you could put small children in them, it's kind of a mind blower. So, name quickly is it primarily Guadua that you're familiar with and use in your area, or are there other varieties?
1: I use, so I use the Guadua, both the Angostifolia and the Atlantica. We also use the Asper dendricolumus. And then we use a a variety of black bamboo and I'm unaware of it. The black bamboo has actually become my favorite bamboo.
0: Running or clumping?
1: It's a clumping bamboo.
0: Does it have a green stripe?
1: Uh, It has a yellowish green stripe. And as it dries, it becomes more yellow.
0: So that would be vulgaris, probably, Bambusa vulgaris. There's another one called Atraviolacea, which has, it's beautiful. It's black with a green stripe, very valuable in Southern California. And also I would mention the asper that you're using, does it have those hairs that will get into your skin?
1: Uh, it's, it's the worst thing ever to harvest. It's right. Number one, each cane, I was telling you that the Guadua weighs about 100, 120 pounds of cane. The Aspergender columnist per cane is about 250 to 300 pounds per cane. <laughs>
0: Right. I'm surprised it's that little, but there's like a hair that is over the entire
1: thing. It's worse than fiberglass. I've I've worked with all types of fiberglass. I've worked with, I've worked with uh, asbestos. (laughs) This is nature's number one. The way you can tell if something's valuable in nature is how spiny it is or how hairy it is. (laughs) That stuff has the worst little microfiber hair that you've ever come across.
0: Such a gorgeous plant, though. If people look up Dendrocalamus asper, there were many versions of full-grown plants in San Diego that I could go see. But here's the problem. I don't know where you guys have determined for Guadua what the peak strength is. So here's the way bamboo works. You plant it once and you almost harvest forever. Could you think of a better friendly plant? to the lives of living men and women, you plant once you harvest, well, at least until seeding comes. And then you may have to replant or grow from seed to establish everything that's just died off. Some seeding periods are unknown. In other words, through the lives of many generations, there's been no seeding period. Other ones are well-established. It's 25 years. I think with Asper, it's supposed to be 50 to 70, but I don't remember. But the problem is with things like Asper, it's beautiful, but you got to trim that back. And here's the reason why. We went by the understanding that if a comb was three years old, then you're starting to be in the neighborhood of peak tinsel strength to do something with it, build a fence or build a structure. Um, for the Guado, what's your benchmark? Seven years. Oh, seven years for Guado. Wow.
1: Yeah. So here's the thing. So this is, I, I had heard the same thing that you were talking about with the three year, but here, because every area has different soils, right? So the bauxite soil here is acidic. And so apparently in the soil here, it takes a, a minimum of three years for the, for the rhizome to actually establish the comb, right? So after about three years, the, your first bamboos will shoot. And they're, they're always the smallest of, of what's, gonna, what's about to happen, we find that right around the third year of the actual cane being above ground, like the actual, the, it being mature, there's a very specific type of lichen that will grow on it. That lichen, like, so what we'll do is when we see the lichen, we go, okay, that looks like the, it's at its peak, temp, that's when it's at its peak strength. If you go tap on it with a machete, it should ping. It should actually sound like metal. And normally, if it has a lichen on it and you tap it with the machete, it will sound like you're hitting another piece of metal. Like if you had like a, a chain link fence and you went over to the chain link fence and you hit it, you have this high pitch ping. Like it's 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 a literal ping. Then we know it's time to harvest it. And in our area for the Guadalajara angustifolia, that's about seven years from, from the time that you plant the rhizome to the time that you actually harvest.
0: That doesn't surprise me. And here's why. I always suspected that three years might be the edge of starting to be useful. But here's one thing that I learned from China. They have an ancient saying about bamboo. Year one, it sleeps. Year two, it creeps year three, it leaps. So I had long suspected that what was going on in Southern California was wrong from the simple reason that anyone who's harvested bamboo, I'm guessing you guys use Japanese pole saws to harvest bamboo. Yeah, of course. So there's a thing called a Japanese pole saw. So it cuts on the pull instead of the push, the opposite of what we do. And it's just beautiful for bamboo, but I had cut bamboo stands that had been standing for 20 years and It is not an easy thing, even with a sharp pull saw, to get through those older combs. It's exactly what you say. It sounds almost like metal on metal. That's how hard it's gotten. Yeah. But the seeding period. Do you guys know the seeding period on Guadua? No, you know I'm trying to remember because
1: when I first started here, I remember like it was right around 2009 or 2010 that there was a seeding period, but. I think it would have had to been for the Asper because I don't remember any of my friends, Guadala, uh stands going down. Like, I don't, I don't remember that.
0: You just made me remember. I think Asper is 45 years. I don't know why I'm thinking that, but here, here's the story about that. So in India, uh, the dendrocalamus are big. Now the story I'm going to tell you is either dendrocalamus Asper or dendrocalamus sicamensis. And of course, sicamensis means it comes from Sikkim, which is a place in India. There was a a famine and people were starving to death. And here's another thing that shows how nature does what nature does. And if you're living with nature, it might save your life. Everyone was literally dying because there was no food. And it was either the sycamensis or the dendrocalamus asper went into seed. And I'm, I think now that I'm thinking about it, it's less than 50 years on the Asper. So these are giants that are only going to last about 50 years. The seeding was so profuse that it was almost to the waist of people. And they had large plantations of all this bamboo because they were growing it and using it. And the seed was so profuse that they filled up just endless bags that weighed a hundred pounds and it saved everyone from the famine because you can eat bamboo seed.
1: That's awesome.
0: You might be able to look that up. I'm not sure, um, but I had versions of that. But I think I'm with you, man. I think the three-year thing doesn't ring true compared to what I know of of the of cutting it myself and hearing what the 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 old Chinese proverbs say about it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure three years is too young, at least in our soil. You know, I've heard because I've I've been on two projects with people that learn from Simone Velez in Colombia. And they're apparently up in the mountains, um, where the, the bamboo actually grows much larger and much faster. I think the the soil in those areas at Colombia were had a, a profile that was probably more like the soil profile of the uh, homeland of the bamboo. Hmm.
0: So let's uh, let's just give people while we're an hour one to hopefully communicate. What an amazing, amazing resource this is. And ask the simple question, why the hell aren't we using this? This is, I mean, this is like the, the prime crop. You plant it once and you harvest until that seeding period comes. Some, some bamboos have no known seeding period that I'm aware of, but here's some of the things. There's a bamboo that fruits, believe it or not. There is a square bamboo. There's a blue bamboo. There's a thorny bamboo. There's a giant bamboo. There is a bamboo, which I will name, that is so razor straight, it's called uh, the bamboo that makes arrows. There's a bamboo that makes paper. There's a bamboo that makes textiles. And in the Western name, it's called textilis um, in the Latin. But let's get into a few and I'll let people look them up because I want to make sure we get this in hour one. There was a bamboo that came brand new into Southern California in the late 90s, and it's a dendrocalamus called HITAM, H-I-T-A-M. The first word is betung, B-E-T-U-N-G, HITAM. If you look that up, it is a giant that is also black. And back when I was involved with this, if you had one of these growing in a pot, it was minimally worth $500. And this became part of the problem in Southern California. So look up Dendrocalamus hitam or Baytung hitam. There's another one that I mentioned that is square bamboo. This is actually growing in the San Diego zoo. I know because I worked to get some of the bamboos there. It's called Kimono bambusa quadrangularis, but you can just search square bamboo and look at it. It's, it's a mind bender. One of my favorite types of bamboo is called Himalaya calamus. Now, the blue bamboo I mentioned back when I was in, it was Himalaya calamus hookerianus. But just look up blue bamboo and you will be amazed. It is literally blue. Another one I just mentioned makes textiles. It is very straight and very thin-walled. And I grew this one called Bambusa textilis. And you could just do a search for bamboo Bambusa, T-E-X-T-I-L-L-I-S, just how it sounds. Bambusa textilis. Beautiful. Now, there was another bamboo that everyone loved called Bambusa wamin, W-A-M-I-N. And the reason everyone loves it is because the internodes bulge. They call it Buddha's belly. But here's when, at least when I was involved with bamboo, no one had figured out quite what makes it bulge. Now, when I look back on it, I suspect it's humidity and other things. Um, but look up Bamboo woman. I was in Hawaii one time and in the center of a little eatery, there was a hole in the roof and there was the most gorgeous Bamboo woman you'd ever seen.
1: You'd love it because I'm using the Buddha bamboo right now. I'm drying a bunch of it because I'm going to make the, the lower part of my uh, bathroom countertops, like the, the, the area that actually opens up that kind of hides all the plumbing I'm actually lining it with the Buddha bamboo.
0: Oh, wow. So if I'm not mistaken, that's actually Bambusa vulgaris, which is a true timber bamboo and tough as nails.
1: It's super strong. Anything that has a a double curve like that is remarkably strong.
0: Well, one of the trippy things is I never realized, like you see beds and stuff that are made out of giant bamboo and you wonder, boy, how long did they have to wait to get that perfectly curved part for that part of the bed? You know how they do that? they take giant plastic pipes, cut them in half, form them into the shape. And as the comb comes out of the ground, they chain that form over the comb and chain it to the ground and they get whatever arc or angle they want. And then after the arc is there, they remove all that and it grows on.
1: Yeah. I've I've seen that with a, a bunch of different shapes of bamboo. I've seen them like actually make make like a wave guide and they'll actually put it right over the very young sprout of the cane. And then depending on the age of the bamboo and if, it, if, if it's the right type, it will actually start to grow through that form and take on that shape.
0: There are so many other bamboos that are not giant that a lot of people aren't aware of. One of my favorites is, and I used to grow this, uh, we called it Kasha. It's the Pranostachium Cassianum. You could search. K-A-S-H-I-A-N-U-M Cassianum Bamboo and just see how elegant and beautiful it is. Depending on where you live in the country, if you're out west where there's not a lot of snow, you can see Bambusa beechiana, which is an absolute giant um, because of the form, how tall it gets and how wide the clumps get. Um, I've seen Calm's approach, six inches maybe, but you could just do a search for beachy bamboo, B-E-E-C-H-E-Y, beachy bamboo. Uh, earlier, I mentioned to you a beautiful, black, truly timber-quality bamboo that has a green stripe in it, and that is called Gigantacloa atroviolacea. There are other giants that are just beautiful beyond imagination. Dendrocalamus latiflorus, also called Mei-Nung, M-E-I- N-U-N-G. You could search mainung, But the varieties are almost like the creator decided that people in this part of the world needed all these things that they could use in their life. And here's an example of this. There's a bamboo called Kimono Bambusa Tama You could simply look up walking stick bamboo. It'll blow your damn mind. All the internodes are bulged like the old classic walking stick that you used to see. There's another one called Kimono Bambusa pitteri. You could search P-I-T-T-E-R-I bamboo, and there's like little spikes all the way around the internode. And lastly, just so you can get a good view of a wide range of bamboos, do a search for candy-stripe bamboo, which I believe is called Himalaya calamus falconeri damarampa, but candy-stripe, it's absolutely gorgeous. Red stripes and all this other stuff, but uh, you mentioned Guadalajara. And you mentioned Buddha's belly, which is actually Bambusa vulgaris. What other varieties do you use? Are there others?
1: Well, like I said, we use the black bamboo, which you had the name for. Ours has the the yellow stripe on it. And to me, that's become my favorite go-to for building because for whatever reason, the bugs do not like it at all. Right. or as strong as it is it's super light so like i was saying a lot of the other bamboos even when they dry out the, the canes become pretty heavy <laughs> especially if you're going to bundle them but the the black bamboo is very light it's it, it's nowhere near as strong as Guadua. but if if you if you're building correctly you don't
0: you don't really need the strength of Guadua. <laughs> like you can way overbuild with Guadua. You must have bambusa vitata, the yellow one with green stripes. Yeah, that's
1: actually the only indigenous uh, bamboo to Costa Rica. But the problem is with that one, as soon as you harvest it, it, no matter when you harvest it, the termites here love it. And so there's been at least in our area, if you have one of those big stands of that particular type of bamboo near your house and, and your house is built out of wood, You more than likely the the termites that are coming for your house start where the yellow bamboo is.
0: I could actually give you something that I learned personally. So in Southern California, one of the big problems with the gorgeous clumping bamboos is the ants love them. So the ants bring scale. And if scale goes undealt with, it turns your stand of bamboo into an ugly, sickly looking mess. And this is what I learned bamboos, almost all of them love nitrogen. And it occurred to me that I know there's a lot of nitrogen in coffee grounds because I'd grown other things. So I used to go to the local coffee place and get 40 pound bags of all the old filters and coffees they were just going to throw away. And I started lining it around my bamboos. The first thing that happened is the ants didn't come to put the scale on. But what I noticed is other things like white fly, all those things went away. And as I read about it, I was led to believe, and I don't know if this is wholly correct, but it works. There's all these, uh, I can't think of the word, the little chemicals, signatures that are in the coffee. I can't think of the word right now, but over time that impregnates all the way through. I'm wondering if you guys use coffee ground to grow the Vitata that the wood become inundated with the chemical signatures of the coffee and the beetles and things would leave it alone maybe.
1: I think there is a method. I just ran into a builder who's been building with bamboo for over 30 years. He's actually a, a, has become a client of mine. And he's, he's educating me on the yellow bamboo. The, the locals here, and it's kind of ironic because we grow a lot of coffee here. <laughs> but the locals here, like the indigenous Costa Ricans, if, if they have yellow bamboo stands on their property, they want to get rid of them. But uh, this gringo, another, another gentleman from North American descent that I just met, he says that they use the yellow, the yellow bamboo everywhere around the world. And so I'm about to learn what it is their method is to actually make it viable. Because just on my farm, my biggest, my biggest bamboo stand is a yellow bamboo stand. And um, I had been taking them out, like my neighbors, whenever they would take them out, I would go ahead and convert the the biomass into biochar. But I'm kind of excited to learn how to actually make it viable because it is indigenous to here and it is extremely prolific.
0: Does it have the, uh, you ever heard of the most, they call it a virus. I know better now, but the mosaic virus. So the leaves get all kind of splotchy. You know, I've never noticed that. There's actually a story to that. Here's the claim. The claim is that because we had this one bamboo that we're talking about, uh, Bambusa vulgaris vitata, um, so it's Bambusa vulgaris, was known to get this, what they called a mosaic virus in the leaf. It just makes the leaf look a little different, not pure green. They claim that if you took a pole saw and cut it and then didn't cleanse your saw, that you could pass it on to other bamboos. I don't know if that's true, but everyone would constantly be they saw, here's here's the part of the story that matters. So this cloning corporation started up in San Diego and they were doing like in vitro and you know things with plants. They took that plant uh at the cellular level, they removed what's called the mosaic virus, and then they published or you know, went out for sale with the Vulgaris Vitata that didn't have it, and they claimed that they could patent it now, <laughs> which is illegal. You can't patent anything made by God. And this whole thing was going on all over the place, but I figured I'd mention all that because it's directly involved with, with bamboo. That's endemic to you.
1: Yeah. There's only two that are endemic here that, that that particular yellow one, and it's, it is prolific. Like almost any area of Costa Rica I've been to has it even at high, high altitudes. Like I've been, I've been on farms that are upwards of like 7,000 feet that have had, you know, stands of that particular type of bamboo. And then there's another, there's a, I don't know the name of it here. I I actually don't, maybe it's in, so I, I might misspeak here. I'm not really certain about it, but there's a bamboo that was brought in called multiplex and a multiplex is like a very good hedge bamboo.
0: I'm familiar with it. Yeah.
1: It's a wonderful hedge bamboo, but there's an indigenous bamboo that's very similar to that, but not as robust. It's not, it's not as sturdy, and if you trim it, it doesn't you know grow thick like a hedge, even though it looks very similar to the
0: multiplex. That would be Bambusa multiplex. And one of the most popular varieties in San Diego is called Alphonse car because it's yellowy and stripy um, and it's smaller. And that's exactly what it's used for is to put down bamboo hedges. I don't, you know, it's, it ruins the whole look of the bamboo to me to do that. Um, but since it's a Bambusa, it's not running. So the only black bamboo, you don't have any Phyllostachys down there, do you? That's one of like the most common running bamboos in, in the world around here.
1: I don't know. The the black bamboo that we have here is it's a clumping bamboo. It's not a running bamboo.
0: Right. So I think I identified that. Also people can look up black bamboo and they'll just get random returns on both clumping but Phyllostachys nigra is the running black bamboo and that's another one if so many people plant it because it's beautiful black bamboo and then they live to regret it because it's running. It's Phyllostachys. Um, and it's damn near impossible after it's been around for 20 years, the old, like rebar like root system, uh, some of it dies off with the combs and it becomes so damn hard. I don't care if you had bolt cutters. Cause I've done it. Um, you almost can't get through it with bolt cutters and that's going down three or four feet. So you can imagine what it would be like to get rid of that. But then there's other ones like, uh, one I like to talk about and that's in Quail Botanical Gardens. It was the first big stand of bamboo I ever saw. It's called Phyllostachys vivax. Mm. It is freaking gorgeous. And not only is it gorgeous, if you can get in the middle of a stand of Phyllostachys vivax uh, in the heat of a Southern California summer, it'll be 20, 25 degrees cooler in the center of that stand. Not only that, another strange thing is and it is a voracious runner. And I mean voracious. When the new calms come up, You can actually sit down, I've done it, and watch them grow. Um, Between one and two feet a day, those new calms will grow. Vivax, of course, means like vivacious. The idea is life. But what's cool about it, in quail, where they put it, they had a rhizome barrier. But where everyone walked through the center, a little path had formed, and the bamboo never put calms up in the pathway where people walk.
1: Well, that's really neat because I have to say the multiplex is actually one of my favorite bamboos if you don't trim it because you can create these beautiful corridors with it. Because after a certain height, it will start to arch over. And if you if you wanted to create like a natural shaded area, which is like in a lot of permaculture, um, like I do this on my farm where my multiplex is is there will be a side of the multiplex that never gets sun. So if I'm ever needing to do a cold ferment, which is a, has a lot more quality in a cold ferment than in a warm ferment um, for my, like my mountain microorganisms or my effective microorganisms, I'll just put it in that arc that's created from the multiplex. (laughs) And it's something that's year round. And what's really neat about it is, is when it rains, it also acts as like this nice little rain barrier, but still allows a little bit of water in. So I also will have a lot of my tree starts, you know, just hanging out underneath my multiplex because they'll get just enough water and they'll stay protected from the, from the big elements.
0: You know, it's, it's listed as one of the most useful um, because it doesn't get out of hand. It's a bambusa. Um, but Alphonse car in Southern California is very popular because it's striped with yellow and green. There's one called fern leaf, which has tiny little leaves, and then one called fern the leaf, fern leaf stripe stem. It has multicolored combs. Another very popular one in San Diego is called Golden Goddess, And I think that's self-explanatory. There's one called silver stripe, uh, where all the stripes are different shades. And then there are the willy, willowy types that you were starting to describe, where they're upright to a certain height, and then like a weeping willow, it's like a cascade. Uh, but those are good ones to grow. And matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, most people can grow multiplex inside a house if they have a window.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it actually makes wonderful, wonderful mulch. So the majority of the bamboos, their leaves, like if, if, if they're dropping lots of leaf in an area, it will actually make that area kind of barren because there's there's a lot of silica and there's like one other thing in it, at least in this area where we have a lot of bauxite clay. So like the, where my bamboo is on my farm, like the big bamboo, everything underneath it is, is pretty, I wouldn't say sterile, but there's a lot less life underneath the bamboo than say some other plants. But you go underneath the, the multiplex, and the, they, they drop their leaves twice a year. So you get a tremendous amount of leaf mulch. And for whatever reason, that leaf mulch has a totally different chemistry. And when I make biochar out of that leaf mulch, it's some of the best biochar I've ever made.
0: It's, it almost blows my mind. I've never, I've never had anything to do with that, but I have seen uh, people make charcoal out of it. And it basically looks like a piece of ba- a charcoal shaped like a piece of bamboo. Uh, most people don't know that one of the, or supposedly one of the earliest filaments used in a light bulb was bamboo. And it lasted like years and years and years, apparently.
1: I think so. Like I, before I even got into bamboo, I was, a, a I had started to get into like Wilhelm Reich's whole thing with cloud busters and stuff yep. like that. And like. The Cloudbuster looked like a, a fasci, right? Like a, a bunch of sticks, hollow, hollowed sticks, you know, that were bundled together. And it was when I moved here, I was like kind of musing on, on the Cloud Buster, and I built one and I was like trying to get it to work. And then I looked across the stream and I looked at this big stand of clumping bamboo and I was like, oh, there's nature's Cloudbuster. <laughs> because here's these like hundred foot tall, you know let's just call them uh, silica cellulose straws pointing up into the sky and their roots are, you know, touching the, the rhizome barrier of the stream. And like you were saying, you know, the weather is completely different when you're in them. And like, as I started to learn a little bit about permaculture and like the different functions, my, my first permaculture teacher called bamboo, um, they called them biostacks. And said, like, if you ever wanted to increase the life of, of a specific farm, like you have these different uh, plants, these essentially like a palm tree where it's hard on the outside, but soft in the middle. Same thing with bamboo. The easiest thing that you can do to to increase the, the bioavailability of what's in the soil is to plant as many palms and as many as many trees that are that are are of that configuration because one it pulls the water table up and it he used the term collagen which is a Victor Schauberger term but he said that that would increase the the amount of life energy or bioelectricity in the area and so that always made me think of what Wilhelm Reich was talking about with his cloud busters.
0: It's almost astonishing to try to imagine how much was forgotten about bamboo as mechanization came all over the world. All right, so let me give everyone two more bamboos. They can just do a simple image search to blow your damn mind. I'll give you the simple name. These are both phylostachis or running bamboos. One is called Moso, M-O-S-O, Moso Bamboo. But this next one is really quite a sight. At one point was one of my favorite bamboos. Uh, doesn't do so well in the dry of Southern California called tortoise shell bamboo. The actual name is Phyllostachys adulis heterocycla. But if you simply search tortoise shell bamboo, you will see the most gorgeous uh, internodes. It's hard to describe, but it does look a bit like a tortoise shell. But anyhow, Jason, uh, we're about there. You want to add anything in before we start wrapping? So this is not something I know a ton about. So what are we going to get into an in hour or two? We're going to get deeper and deeper into bamboo. One of the things about bamboo, and I'll close with this idea to try to express what a big damn deal it was for Asia. Uh, there was almost no single part of life. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure there was no single part of life that didn't require bamboo made implements from the clothes, to think about going into a restaurant to this day, all those little steaming mechanisms made from bamboo. And why are they still made that way? Because there's nothing that gets made in the modern era that can touch the effective method in which the bamboo lends itself to these cooking methods. Um, So here's an old saying um, that I ran into many years ago that kind of describes the importance of bamboo. And it could be used in our world. We would just modify for the parts of the world we live in to get these bamboos. I am convinced to this day that we could take all the human waste and with the right kinds of running bamboo, which are very vivacious, uh, we could recycle human waste. I know pee um, because I did it. You can uh, Bamboo loves pee. All the bamboo guys would say, if you're ever going to pee, pee on your bamboo, it will thank you. And it's true. It loves the acid. It loves uh, human pee. But I took one. And for a year, I peed on that thing just to see, it, would it get stinky? Would it, No, at no point was it, you know, I don't think people would want to handle it. But the point is, is it could recycle all that naturally. But here's the saying, said Su Dong Po, the famous poet of the Song Dynasty in China, there are bamboo tiles for shelter, bamboo hats for shading, bamboo paper for writing, bamboo rafts for carrying, bamboo skin for clothing, bamboo shoes for wearing, bamboo shoots for eating, and bamboo fuel for fires. Indeed, we cannot live without bamboo for a single day. And when that was written, they were not kidding. The entirety of the culture uh, had built up around the king of grasses called bamboo. This amazing thing. It's almost like when the creator put us down here, um, they said, what What are these human beings going to need to survive? Well, in this part of the world, they're going to need bamboo. And in this part of the world, they better have some dogs. <laughs> That'll be his best friend. It's, it's almost amazing when you look at the relationship between human lives and some of the plants and animals that were put here with us. But that does bring our one of episode 325 to a close. Uh, we're going to regroup here, come back in about 10 minutes for hour two. And we're, I'm going to try to get a lot more into the building Christopher has done and other things, because this is real world application. And it's come a long way since I was big into bamboo, because back then they were still taking Guadua, punching the internode and filling it with concrete. Um, and as we have learned, that's not the most effective way, nor is it the cleanest way to do it. So there it is, man. Join us on the other side at crow triple seven radio.com C R R O W seven, 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 radio.com. And I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.